now we'll get into the study this morning. Um, we were in uh, Luke 13, and then in Luke 14, uh, I've covered a number of the passages in Luke 14 in our previous studies in Luke, and I was uh, laboring over, um, oh, you, it's okay, you know, we'll work something out, yeah. Uh, and and we, uh, I, I was laboring over what to teach, and it's been a busy week with the dedication of the healing garden. Wednesday started at 4.30 in the morning with, um, we were at the borderline doing uh, newscasts, and then uh, we had the three services on Wednesday. Uh, and then we had another event in, in the evening, uh, the following day, I think, or day after, at the Sheer Forum uh, to hear stories of folks and, and how they process that awful day. Um, and, and I was, uh, th- this has been an interesting week. I haven't had a week like this since I lost the election for uh, state assembly, the general election. And, and the heaviness of uh, that day, it was a, uh, the first Tuesday in November, found out we lost the election. Uh, three o'clock in the morning, Wednesday, I'm just kind of looking at the Lord saying, you know, I don't, I don't think I get you. Uh, I worked really hard on this. You told me to run in such a way as to win. Now, granted, you did give me the verse out of Job. Yea, though he slay me, yet will I praise him. I didn't, I didn't think that meant I'd lose, Lord. And a lot of people put their lives and efforts into this, and I'm not sure how you're going to fix this. Um, and he did. Um, just a process that, yeah, I, I, I cut my teeth learning how to operate in an election then folks asked me to run for the council. I did, barely won, one re-election. In the second term of office, Andy Fox came to me and he said, hey, listen, I know you're up for uh, being uh, uh, mayor. Um, would you mind, um, I wanna retire as mayor. Can I bypass you? And I'm thinking to myself, I, you know, you've been mayor seven times, I've never been mayor, and you're asking to bypass me. I just think that's a little selfish. <laughs> that's my flesh. But I went home and I prayed about it and the Lord said, if it's in your ability to bless someone, bless them. And I came back and said, you know, Andy, the Lord did tell me to, to yield. And so he became mayor and that was in 2018. And I remember, I remember the night of the shooting and um, when we were summoned to the command center at the Jans Mall. And when I arrived there, Andy had just finished his retirement party as an assistant fire chief for Los Angeles. And there was Joel Price, a Los Angeles police detective both council members, one is mayor. I'm mayor pro tem, and I remember arriving on the scene and seeing Andy and a relief that came over me, thinking, God, you really knew what you were doing. Um, and so blessed to witness his leadership and Joel's leadership through that crisis and to interact with the first responders. And, and that was heavy, and to process and to trust the Lord that he'd use it together for good, which he always promises to do. And even working through the, the borderline shooting and all that we've endured as a community, I'm I'm trusting him, as all of us are. Um, and then this week, um, it was another one of those events. Uh, I was personally laboring over the position that I've been offered at Liberty University to be the executive director of an institute that uh, will be publicly announced at the end of this month. The memorandum of understanding had been signed. Everything was moving forward. When I came back from Israel, I went directly to Lynchburg, finalized some of those things, rearranged my schedule completely, set up five plane tickets so I could be back on the weekends. I basically would be in Lynchburg Monday through Friday and be home Saturday and Sunday and do that for a period of time. And processing through it and asking the Lord, you know, because I knew God wanted this 
And I was working with uh, Charlie Kirk uh, with Turning Point USA. And when we were back in Phoenix, I could sense this was of the Lord, really knowing that there was something significant happening. And Charlie and I connected, and so did all the, the younger folks that are part of this program. And then when I uh, came back, there were some things that were heavy on my heart. Um, I was asking the Lord, I'm not certain how I'm going to be able to be a shepherd to the congregation two days a week. Uh, I noticed that I, people were wanting to have appointments and really there's just no room for it unless we meet on a Saturday, that's it. And when would I spend any time with my family? But I, I still was being faithful to what he'd asked of me and trying to piece it all together. And then contemplating my role in the community as an elected official, do I run for office again in November 2020 or the likelihood is I can't because uh, I'm gonna be busy doing this across the country. And um, I wasn't comfortable with it. I, I left there uh, burdened um, and, and processing it. I put so much effort and time into it. Um, and then I, I uh, was scheduled to speak on Wednesday, and it was three events. First was in the morning. Uh, well, we did the interviews at 5 in the morning, and then at 10 a.m., um, we had with the, the families of the victims... Um, when we dedicated the healing garden, they were the first to see it. And then the second was with the 248 survivors, their family and friends, there was another service. And then the third service in the afternoon was with the, the public and the press was invited. And I didn't know what I was gonna say that day. And I'd come back from the, the interviews in the morning uh, and laid my head down for just a nap because I hadn't gotten much sleep. And um, the Lord woke me up with what I was to say. So I didn't get any sleep. I'm like, could have picked another time to do that. I don't, you know. But it was, it, it ministered to me and I was touched by it and I, I was processing it. And, um, and I'm still thinking as the, the pastor of the church, what am I gonna share on Sunday? So all these things are in my mind. And as I'm looking through the scriptures, I, I, I've touched that on, on previous services. I've covered that passage. This ties in with these, and I, I get to Luke chapter 15, um, uh, verses uh, one through seven, and it's, it's the parable of the lost sheep. And I sense the Lord saying, you're, you're gonna teach on this. And I was, okay, and I'm actually in the uh, tent um, at the healing garden location that they have for the families and the speakers uh, behind the stage. And my wife and my daughter arrive, and my daughter comes with her three kids, my grandkids, uh, Oliver, Liberty, and Elliot. And I'm very preoccupied, but I want to greet them, and I've been talking to many of the family members, um, and I'm thinking about this, and, and as I just finished reading it, Oliver comes up and says, Obi, that's the name he has for me, which is so cool. Uh, I'm called Obi. I mean, Obi-Wan Kenobi. He's my young Padawan. I mean, who... Epic, epic. And all of you are gonna steal it. Like you wanna be a grandparent, be called Obi, because you're jealous, and I understand that. And Oliver's all of five years old, and he says, Obi, uh, um, I wanna read to you my verse. I said, oh, okay, and I'm thinking five-year-old verse, you know, John three sixteen, you know, whatever. Uh, and you know, I'm, I'm the same way uh, when it comes to my young children, when they were, when my children were young, they'd bring paintings that they do, and I'm like, you know, forcing myself to go, that's really great. You know, I think something's wrong with you, but your mother seems to think that's very <laughs> profound. 
So, I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm working on that role, and I'm doing better as a grandfather. And so he comes up to me, and he begins to recite it. God speaks to you through a five-year-old. Um, do we have a clip? He, he did this first service. He's now uh, somewhere else because he had an appointment. <laughs> He's busier than I am. <laughs> but this is what he did first service. I had him come up. He walked down. Everyone's high-fiving him. He's walking like it's a gauntlet. He's like, this is no big deal. And he grabs a microphone. This is, this is Micah's son and the son of my daughter as well, but takes after Micah. All right, so Luke chapter 15, um, we're going to be at the very beginning of it. Um, but in that portion of scripture, Luke 15, sorry about that, Oliver, um, if you'll drop to verse 3, that's where uh, our reciting of it. Now, don't, don't look at the passage. You can look at that later. <laughs> Are you ready to read what we, what we did? All right, let's do it. Just put the microphone up and let's start. Ready, go. The parable of the wandering tree. See that you do not despise one of these ones. I tell you that the same church in heaven always see the face of my Father in heaven. What do you think? If a man owns a hundred sheep and one of them wanders away, will we not leave the ninety-nine on the hills and go to look for the one that wandered off? And if he finds it, truly I tell you, he is happier about that one sheep than the ninety-nine that did not wander off. In the same way, your Father in heaven is not willing that any of these children should perish. Fantastic. He recites that to me. Now, it's not Luke 15. It's in, I mean, it's another portion of the parable, but I, I just... I just thought, Lord, you know what you're doing here. Uh, and, and out of the mouth of babes. Um, and then after he had said that, I went to go speak. And as I'm standing in front of everybody to share, and I don't remember which one of the three it was, the Lord clearly said to me, uh, you are not permitted to leave this community. And I thought, oh. I thought you'd be like. <laughs> and, and it, and it was the, it was the heart of the shepherd that um, in the first time we gathered with the families of the victims, my heart was um, uh, deeply moved. And, and, um, and then the, the second service was with the, the survivors and, and I was moved. And then the final time with the, the entirety of the community. And as I just looked out at all these folks and I, you could sense the love from the community towards not only the families of the victims, but the survivors as well and all the officers and first responders. And there was just something so significant and profound about it. And, and the Lord just ma- made it clear uh, that, that I'm, I'm not to leave. And I didn't know to what extent. And um, Charlie Kirk got back from Virginia and met with the uh, president of Liberty. And, and he said, you know, I met with the other two guys and, and the emphasis is that they really want you to step out of the ministry to take the executive position, executive director position. And I said, yeah, I figured as much because that wasn't how it was before. They wanted to replicate what I do, and now I, they're asking that I step out of the political world and the ministerial world. I don't know how you replicate me by taking away the things they want to replicate. I, and I said, I just said, Charlie, I, I love working with you, uh, but I'm out. I'm out. And uh, you're going to have to find someone else to do that. 
I'll work with you in any capacity. And he said, Rob, I don't want to lose you. I said, well, I don't want to lose you either. And we were just communicating this morning. And he's, he's under heavy attack. Pray for him. Pray for him. They're going to be in town tonight uh, as the president's son is going to be speaking at the Reagan Library. And we, we've had, we have, God gave us a friendship. Um, but when you've invested so much time in trying to navigate, so I canceled five plane tickets. I mean, I just, I, I said, I can clearly see what God wants me to do, and that's to remain here. And so, amen. amen. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you guys. So. But it was a confirmation uh, on Wednesday when you, you started to see a community in love come out on the one-year anniversary to support the families of the victims and the 248 survivors. And, and as the color guard was coming down and then they had a flyover and we, we uh, recited the Pledge of Allegiance and, and it was just an amazing day. Uh, the crowds grew and, and you looked out to the left because that's where the shade was. It just went as far as I could see and, and uh, you, you could feel the love in the community. Uh, this, this was another portion of the event. I think this was with the survivors. Um, and, and then these numbers came to me. These numbers came to me. At first, I'd used the number 167,000, but I was wrong. I'd used that 167,000 as the entirety of the Conejo Valley. But for the citizenry of the city of Thousand Oaks, it's 130,000. And so these numbers came to me um, in my presentation, the first two events. Um, and it was 130,000, 248, and, um, and then 12. 130,000 is the, the citizenry of the city of Thousand Oaks, and, and a large portion of them were represented. Uh, a, a, a large portion was represented at, at that event uh, on Wednesday. And then the 248 are the survivors, and the 12 are the victims. And as they were describing the garden, the uh, 12 boulders made out of California granite, and then the 12 um, stones in the healing garden itself made out of California granite, uh, this, this idea came to me that these are, a memorial is to never forget. And these 12 granite stones, um, you know, my comment to the folks present, as I said, there isn't a stronger substance in our state. And this California granite existed long before we arrived and will remain here long after we're gone. And they're silent, ancient guardians of memory. And, and I... I was moved by that because that night was awful and the preceding days were awful with the fires. And as I shared with the survivors, the 248, I said, you, 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 can't, you can't forget the past. You can't forget the past and you can't change it. You can't erase it and you can't edit it. And I'd shared with them about losing my best friend at 13 who was murdered on Halloween night uh, back in 1977. And here, you know, I'm 40 plus, 43 years later, um, I can go back to that day. And even when he was murdered that night on Halloween night, my parents were in a horrible car accident and they were in critical condition. And at 13, it just hit me that life is frail and it's frightening and it, it, it paralyzed me for a season. I wasn't raised in a Christian home. But I remember one of the verses that had led me to the Lord and administered to me was out of Romans 12, 21 that says, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. And as I stood in front of these 248 young folks, I just said to them, 
I could have easily have been taken out of, the, out of life and, and evil could have overcome me. But the Lord took a hold of my heart and I stand before you, strangely enough, as a minister and as a mayor of a city 44 years later and your entire future is ahead of you. And do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. And, and those numbers kept jumping out at me, 248 and 12, that we will never, ever, ever, as long as we live, forget the 12. And we'll comfort the families. And the 248 have a future. And, and 130,000 were, were content to make the focus on the 12. And the $250,000 that the 130,000 citizens put forward to build the healing garden and the donations from around the community and, and nobody wanted to put their name on the plaque. No, no, no city official has their name on any of the plaques. The only names there are the 12. And these are silent servants. 130,000 people embraced 12. And, and having Oliver share with me and all these things coalescing in my mind uh, brings me to this picture where the Lord leaves the 99 to go after the one. So if you'd stand, I'm going to read the word with you. It's in Luke chapter 15, verse 1. Then all the tax collectors and sinners grew near to Jesus to hear him. And there's multitudes, as you see in chapter 14, multitudes surrounding him. And the Pharisees and the scribes complained as these sinners and tax collectors grew near to Jesus. The, the Pharisees and the scribes complained. And this is what they said. They said, this man receives sinners and eats with them. So he spoke this parable to them. He takes what they said and he begins to tell them a story. He says, what man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he loses one of them, does not leave the 99 in the wilderness and go after the one which is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and neighbors, saying to them, rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep which was lost. I say to you that likewise there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 just persons who need no repentance. Lord, we ask your blessing on the study of your word. We ask God that you'd minister it to us this day. Lord, we thank you for this picture of you being the good shepherd, the parable of the lost sheep. And Lord, in this story, may we see ourselves where we fit. And Lord, if we're in the wrong category, May our eyes be open and our hearts move that we would see ourselves as the Lord sees us lost. Lost and in need of a shepherd. And so God, may we also find ourselves rejoicing in the wayward that we would find great joy in reaching out to the tax collector, the publican and the sinner and knowing that the joy of the Father is to find and save that which is lost. So God bless us now. Holy Spirit, lead us into all truth, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Have a seat. The parable of the lost sheep. It's one of the most beloved chapters in the Bible. And it's made up of parables. There's three of them. There's the parable of the lost sheep, the parable of the lost coin, and the parable of the lost son. And it's all in response to an accusation that was leveled by... Pharisees and Sadducees, and that was all the tax collectors and sinners drew near to Jesus to hear him, and the Pharisees and the scribes complained. And they complained by saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. 
And so he began to speak this parable to them. And when you hear the parable, you, you see 100, uh, 99 and 1. And before you go too far into a story, the emphasis of the story is rejoicing. It's not in the neglect of the 99. The safety of the 99 is assumed by the Lord. You can overthink this and, and, and come up with any way to de- destroy it. The safety of the 99 is assumed. It's probably a corporate flock that is cared for, but the point of the parable is simply in the rejoicing, not in the neglect of the 99 for the one. And they call it the parable of the lost sheep. And as I, I thought about sheep, which is something you have to do when you study the passage, sheep are fascinating. They're not stupid like people tend to make them out to be. They're, they're lower on the, the farm animals than others, but they're not stupid. They are, they're communal, even though they don't like each other. <laughs> They're communal because they know they need each other. And what is community? Common unity. We, we tend to not get along with each other all the time, but we know we need each other. God created us to be relational. Even the Godhead's relational. And to dwell in community, we have to, we have to get along. And so sheep are much like that. They're, they're, they're not born with defensive mechanisms. Their teeth aren't frightening. <laughs> They don't have claws, and they're fluffy and delicious uh, to predatory animals. And yet they find strength in community, but when one strays, they're in danger, because in community they can find strength. And the scripture is very clear that, that Satan is a roaring lion, predatory animal, roaring lion roaming about seeking whom he may devour. He doesn't go after the flock, he goes after the stray. And, and sheep are notorious for straying. It's a, it's a difficulty. No creature strays more than a sheep. Uh, this is very clear if you talk to a shepherd. And, and there, none is more heedless or incapable of finding its way back to the flock than a wayward sheep. They just, once they go astray, they'll bleat. They'll just, bah, 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 and they'll, they'll just run and panic, and they'll, they'll run in the opposite direction of, of the flock because they just have lost all ability to reason. I'm pausing for emphasis so you can kind of see where you fit in the parable. And, 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 and they run. And, and, they, and they can't hear anything because they're making so much noise. And they just, they're running and they're running and they exhaust themselves. And then they collapse and exhaustion. And then all of a sudden the, the predators come, come in. They tend to run from things that frighten them but they, they follow, sheep follow. And a, a shepherd, and this is why the Lord brings us to this picture because it's such a, a paradigm shift. The, the, the scribes and the Pharisees who are lawyers and politicians, they've weaponized the law and, and, and they think that you, you have to be like them in order to be received by God. 
And Jesus is sitting down with the contrary. He's sitting down with, with publicans, tax collectors. I didn't say republicans, I said publicans. Because, yeah, I'll leave it alone. <laughs> publicans means a tax collector. And, and, and they were despised by, by Jews because they were traitors. They were of the, the same tribe. They were Jewish but they were social outcasts of the day, these, these tax collectors, these publicans. They were notoriously dishonest. They stole from people. They're, just, they're looking out for their own, and they were notoriously dishonest. Rome would establish a certain levy in an area that was required to keep the Roman machinery operating, and they'd take these turncoats and have them work both sides of the fence. And they were responsible to give Rome a portion of the amount that they would, they would levy from these sheep, They'd fleece them, so to speak. If you wonder what fleecing is, it means they take their coat in the springtime so they can grow a new coat before winter comes, and then they sell that coat. And they had the power of Rome behind them. They had the authority of Rome behind them. They were considered traitors, and they were the most hated people in a community. And Jesus is hanging out with them. And not just the publicans, not just the tax collectors, he's hanging out with sinners. And we covered that last week, and that's... that. I, hopefully we've gotten to the point where that is not an offensive term to us. It just means we're not perfect. For all have sinned and fallen short of God's perfection. And we get that. And, and God forbid there's anyone in the room who says they're perfect because we, it wouldn't take us a nanosecond to burst your bubble. I, honestly, I don't know how you got through that wide door with your head if you're perfect. That was a little uncomfortable. Nobody likes to see themselves in that category as a sinner. And I, I, that I completely understand. We like to see ourselves as we seek to be, not as we are. We tend to say, I try to be honest. I try to be fair. I try to live by the golden rule. No doubt. But you don't. You, you, you fail. And the Bible says, if any man who says he's without sin, who says he's perfect, he deceives himself. And I don't think there's any in here that are self-deceived. The mark is perfection and we've all missed it. And that's, that's a fair assessment. It's, it's not rocket science to come to that. Nobody's perfect. And uh, Jesus is hanging out with these imperfect people. And these Pharisees come along and they're religious zealots and they're outwardly religious, but they are in a position of authority and they see them as dirty. The masses are dirty, we're elite, we're superior. And we have the law on our side. And Jesus is now having a multitude following him and he's done a paradigm shift and, and they're, they're livid. They're upset. And they, they begin to complain because he is, he's, he's hanging out with these people. You, you have authority and you're using it to hang out with them. And the paradigm shift is God doesn't need you to clean up before he accepts you. He meets you right where you are, as filthy as you are. And he'll leave the 99 who see themselves as secure and he'll come running after you. This was, this was revolutionary in the Jewish mind that God, God doesn't wait for you to come to him. He goes and seeks you. I, comforting. And as a shepherd, and to, and to look at sheep, they, they need community. And they're, they're skittish, they're scared. And, and we don't necessarily like each other, but we have to get along. And we stray, 
And when we stray, we're in danger. Horrible things happen when we get outside a community. The shooting is a result. The gunman was from Newbury Park. I lived 15 doors down from him for over 15 years. I never met him. He was troublesome in school, troublesome in the military, troublesome in community, and troublesome in his home. Isolated and warped. And evil overcame him and devoured him. And in the process, he was an instrument of evil. We're not supposed to be alone. We're not supposed to be isolated. We need to reach into those nooks and crannies of the community and try to find those who are lost. I don't blame the community in that sense, but the reality is God never intended us to be alone. It's not healthy. Put your phone down and talk to somebody. I mean, you sit at the dinner table with your phone. You're texting each other. Chuck that thing. And you guys are going, you chuck yours first. I get how hard that is. But here you have sheep that need community and they stray. And they get, they get skittish, and they stray. And as they run, they, they, they're fearful, and they have a shepherd. And the shepherd is established, interestingly enough, as Jesus uses this illustration, any shepherd knows this, a shepherd builds trust with the sheep because he feeds them. And they tend to trust the shepherd because he's always leading them to green pastures. He's leading them to, to where they can find food and water. And they know that if they follow him, they're going to, be, they're going to find sustenance. And they know his voice, and they hear his voice, and they're drawn by his voice. And the shepherd uses sheepdogs. Dogs are a natural predator to sheep, and the sheep are suspect of the sheepdog, and rightfully so. But the unique aspect of it is the sheepdog are submitted to the shepherd and they're trained to protect the sheep. And the reason why the sheep obey them is because they're suspect of them. It's just dynamic. I'll give you an example, an earthly example. Police officers. They're, they're ministers of justice to execute wrath on those who would do evil and they carry a weapon. They walk into a room and you're like, okay. I, I see the uniform and the badge. Everything tells me that you're trustworthy. But that thing right there, and and one of the worst things in community is one of the sheepdog gets predatory. That breaks down community. Right? And if you want to divide a community, go after them. Devalue them. But the integral part is they're submitted to the shepherd and they're not a harm to the sheep, they're protection to the sheep, but they, they, they have a predatory weapon, but it's not for the sheep, it's for another predator. And the sheep respond to them because there are times as sheep we, we tend to disagree and we, we break the boundaries, but we have community where we reside and they're instruments 
they're ministers of justice to execute wrath on those who would do evil that would go outside the lines. And, and, and you, can use, you can use the weaponry to, to subject the sheep and, and look at them as meat on hooves and abuse them. And the Pharisees and the, and, and, and the scribes, they, they had the legal authority. They, they had the, the, the authority of Rome. And their trouble was their sheepdog were the, the tax collectors and the, the armies of Rome. And now Jesus is, is causing them to have a different paradigm shift that they're actually people and they don't have to treat other people with dishonesty and they don't, they don't have to steal from them. And he's reaching out to them. Why would you be a turncoat? Why would you live on both sides of the fence? And they're getting, they're getting a moral download and a transformation. And that's important for community because we get skittish and the shepherd needs the sheepdog but the sheepdog, to be effective, needs to be submitted to the shepherd and to realize that this is critical. I love what one shepherd writes about his dog. He says, many people keep dogs as pets, and the adage is they're man's best friend. It's shared by almost all. However, there is something quite different when your dog is a working dog. We use border collies to assist us with our sheep chores. And as I write this, my number one dog, now retired, Jake, is at my feet, my most loyal and loving friend. But we are also partners. Jake has done the work of four farmhands. Together we could move a thousand sheep from our farm up the road to our mountain pasture. He's brought new mothers, um, ever so protective of their newborn lambs into the barn from the pasture, often having to go nose to nose with the ornery ewe. He has rounded up cattle 40 times his size. He has worked in the heat of the summer and in the bitter cold of the winter nights. This is not a hobby for my dogs and for me. This is a partnership where a job must get done. We share in the misery of bad weather, bad sheep, and bad circumstances. But we end each day with a shared appreciation for a job well done. Pets are wonderful. Working dogs are one of nature's true wonders. And my life has been blessed with the most loyal of friends and working partners. My dogs have been responsible for my livelihood, my contentment in farming, and for my joy to have them at my side day and night. I share this because when I went to the Shear Forum after the dedication of the Healing Garden, we sat in the Shear Forum for a night where we got to hear stories from the community um, about how uh, that awful November 7th affected them, the shooting at the borderline. And different people from the community, we had um, uh, one of the fathers of one of the victims speak, we had uh, the assistant police chief speak, we had um, a young lady who was a survivor of that night watched her best friend killed in front of her eyes. We had uh, someone else just from the community that didn't hear about it till the following day and uh, the trauma that they went through. And then, and each in their own right was profound, but the one that really affected me, it was supposed to be uh, Fire Chief Spikerman, the police, or excuse me, the Fire Chief of the City of Thousand Oaks, but he, he couldn't make the event and so they put in another um, fireman first responder, big fella, uh, stationed right here in Newberry Park, and, and um, I didn't know what to expect, and he comes up, and he's, he's in his outfit because he's on duty, and the minute he walks up, he says, um, I've, I've never shared this story before, and the room is silent, and he begins to get choked up, and it's hard to see a strong man cry, and we're we're glued to our seats. And he says, um, 
And then Justin Meek's sister was seated in front of me. He was one of the victims. She says, it's gonna be all right, we're with you. And everybody began to cheer. And the love in the room strengthened him. And he, his eyes were sweating, he wasn't crying. And he says, um, my experience that day began with a hug from my wife and a kiss from both her and my children. He said, I wasn't on duty. I was at one of my kids' games. I got a call from the station that somebody called in sick. Could I come in and fill in a shift? I said, yes, I'll be there. Got his stuff organized, went to the station. Shortly after arriving at the station, uh, the call comes in that there's multiple fatalities at the borderline. Uh, we need the, the rig there. And he drives the big rig that um, has a driver in the back, a two-part rig. He's driving the front of it. He comes down Moore Park Road. And he said, said it's absolute pandemonium. Cars are going up the opposite direction on Moore Park uh, off-ramp. And, and people are everywhere. And he, he's instructed to block it with the rig, sealing off the Moore Park off-ramp and as they get out to assess and there's intensity happening and the radio chatter is immense a police car comes speeding up faster than he had seen any car and, and, and fearful but navigates themselves properly and the officer says we have a wounded personnel at which point they reach in and it's officer, officer Helis and so this fireman is the first on scene to begin to minister and care for Officer Helis and realizing that his injuries are so severe that they need to get him to the hospital. They do their best to stabilize him and you can imagine you're working on someone you know and this is, this is awful. And so they get him to the hospital and as soon as they've secured this and he was, his hands are, the evidence that he's been dealing with a, a wounded human being. He says, then they ask us to put on our bulletproof vest because we had to enter the location. So three of us go by a suburban, enter there, and they didn't want to destroy the crime scene, but they needed to see if there was any life remaining in the building. And he's the first in. He brings in a, a heat camera to see if there's any registry of warmth. They're checking the bushes outside, the broken windows, the rafters and the ceilings. And he paused for what seemed like an eternity. He just couldn't get the words out. He just said there was no life. He says, I'm trained to save people. He said, the hardest part of the night was exiting the building and walking past the family members who were hoping trying to maintain composure so as not to overwhelm them. And then he said, we went back to the station, which is a sanctuary for us. We can close the doors and there we can be silent, we can cry. Yeah, and he said, and yes, laugh, because if we don't, we'll go crazy. And he said, we were there a short moment when the very first call came in that a fire had erupted. They responded to that fire, which went into another fire and another fire, and he said, for the next 10 days, sleep when you can sleep, eat when you can eat, 
And we were gone from our families and the 10 days ended with another hug and a kiss from my wife and my children and that concluded my time. And I thought about that man and I, witnessing the color guard come down and each of these officers and Officer Aguilar, the assistant police chief, these are sheepdogs. And they keep us safe. We're suspect of them, but we desperately need them. And when they're honest, we trust them. And here's a picture that the Lord puts forward. And in the sharing of this parable and seeing ourselves in the picture, The entire parable came about because Pharisees and scribes complained saying this man receives sinners and eats with them. I think how critical we are as human beings, as sheep. We don't realize we need each other and, and, and if, if we can be the shepherds and oppress the sheep and we just see meat on hooves and we can use authority and we can even take sheep dogs to, be, to, to treat us as, as meat on hoof but not this shepherd and, and not his sheepdogs. They're all ministers and they, they see us as created in the image of God, fearfully and wonderfully made and to be protected and to be sought and to be loved. And yet they're contending with those that would weaponize the law, those that would treat us as though we're less than human those that wouldn't even want to associate with us because we, we, we are dirty. Those who would look at us as though we're dumb, stupid, that they are smarter and more elite and they need to run us and that just doesn't work. And I saw this picture painted of the way that the Pharisees and the scribes would almost look at Jesus. I, the, the guy on the right there, it's like, really? Well, that's quite a story. And then the other guy is like, whoa, 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 just, I don't, shh, shh, shh. I'm going to tell you what you need to know. And the, the guy in the back going, what? I mean, I love the, it's just, maybe you've never been in a situation like that. I have. <laughs> they spend their time debating the law, seeking to observe outward observances, only outward observances. They were exacting in their actions, but their attitudes stunk. Hypocrites were all in act. Uh, they lived to impress each other. They sought the approval of man more than God. They were very self-righteous, manifest the common characteristics by condemning others. They found their joy in demeaning someone else in order to elevate themselves. We can go through this. The scribes, they were men who spent their time copying scriptures. They were considered the experts. They knew the original language. They considered themselves the only ones capable of interpreting the scriptures. And there's no bigger stick to hit someone over the head with than God. And, and I, I, I can, I, you just demean people and reduce them to nothing as though they, they don't deserve to have any access to God, that you, you are, you're on the outside because I have the authority of the scripture to lay this out. And they, they condemn Jesus for hanging out with publicans and sinners The interesting thing about the publicans and the sinners is they came to hear Jesus. 
the Pharisees and the scribes came to condemn him. And I find this every Sunday and every time I'm at a council meeting or any time I'm in a, a place to speak, some come to hear and some come to find fault. And, and if you come to find fault, there's plenty of it. It won't take you long. And the Bible says it's to a man's benefit to overlook an offense. And I've, I've jokingly said this, but it's true that I have the gift of offense. Just give me a moment, I'll offend you. If I haven't, trust me, I will succeed. And when you're offended, you, you sit no longer wanting to hear, but wanting to find fault and to justify why I have no need to be here. Why would you give me that kind of authority in your life? If you're miserable, why stay? And I, and I don't want anyone to leave. I'll pursue you. But the idea is you, you, you can sit and be so angered. I, I shared the story about Evan Lowe and reaching out to him in Sacramento and how he pulled the bill from the governor signing it. And, and as soon as I had finished sharing that story, people were touched. But a person comes up to me and says, yes, but he signed a proclamation. And you didn't tell the whole story. And I said, he did. And you're absolutely right. But would you rather have a proclamation or a law? Did you get the point of the story that I went to go meet with him and you should try to do the same thing? But you're just angry. And the illustration that the Lord gave me was a tiny little lady who's in our church. She was in first service and I have permission to do it again because I insulted her and also praised her. She's not even, she's like here, maybe. No, no, yeah, about right there. Full grown, full grown. I, I call her Seabiscuit because she's tiny, but she's mighty. And when I say her name, you're going to know her, Sandy Sourman. She's a powerhouse. She's like dynamic. Let's go do this. She's a little engine that could. And, and when, when Sandy gets on something, she's going to get it done. And when we started to get engaged as a con congregation and participating in the community and, and the civic arena, she jumped right in, walking precincts and she's making phone calls. And she's on social media. And then all of a sudden, social media, she gets to discover, is not pleasant. And she would read that. Well, that, bam, hit him right back. Bam, bam. Bam, bam. And she's and, and she's telling me, did you hear what they and I and I'm watching her and I, I would say on Sundays, people are not the enemy, they're the opportunity. She goes, I know, but did you see what they said? And I said, you know, Sandy, we have to love them. These are the these are the publicans and the sinners. You yeah, but but they're they're so mean. I go, they are. And they hurt too. But we're immortal until God's done with us and we don't have to be offended. A gentle answer turns away wrath. A, a word fitly spoken is like apples of gold and settings of silver and bless her heart. She was vicious but the same intensity she would put towards that, she immediately switched and, and then she says, well I guess I could bake them some bread. The woman makes a killer sourdough. She has single-handedly gotten me out of ketosis. 
And, and she starts taking these loaves of bread to her enemies and doing good to those who spitefully use her. And she's building, she's, she's eating with them. She's breaking bread with them, literally, and listening to them. And then, and then the Pharisees of, of us condemn her. What are you doing speaking to her or them? Do you know what they do? And I, I'm watching her. And she's just blessing me. And it's so easy in community to just rail against one another. But she, she ministers. She ministers. And I think about this. I think the reason why it's so easy for her to do that is because she sees herself appropriately. This is the only place for us to see ourselves in this parable if we're gonna be successful. We're lost. The enemy wants to isolate us and devour us. And, and, and that's, that's a picture of, of a lost sheep. This is, the next one I'm gonna show you is my favorite because it's a lost sheep that's eaten some of Sandy's sourdough. That's me. I can't move. I'm exhausted. And, and we're all alone. We're all alone in our anger. We're all alone in our fear. We're all alone in, in our anxiety. We're all alone. We're all alone in our pain. We're all alone in our hurt. We're angry at everybody. We find fault. We, we've made so many judgments and, and we just we have no community. We're isolated. And we're we're just we're just sending visceral emails in in, in, in our basement. And and we, we we have nobody who surrounds us. Nobody even wants to be around us. And everybody's the enemy. And we're lost. This this is what this is how we need to see ourselves. We're lost. Because when you see yourself in that picture. The parable takes on a whole new meaning. Because now, you're not afraid of the shepherd. And when he appears, you hear his voice. Are you tired yet? Are you scared? I'm calling you back to community. I'm calling you back to me. I'm a good shepherd. I will feed you. I'll care for you. I, I was thinking about my my little grandson Oliver and Liberty, Liberty touched me deeply. Liberty was precious. She, she came up to Michelle and I um, at, in the tent after Oliver had recited, no, no, this was at the house. She comes up to us and she, she grabs this little tiny Bible she got when she was dedicated. She says, mommy, will you read this? And hands it to Molly and Molly opens it up and it's dog-eared and some of the pages have been ripped because she's always in this thing. She says, mommy, read to me again. And Molly opens it up and I'm like, what passage is she gonna read? And it's tiny writing. I don't know, I can't, I'm like, so anyways, I just, uh, but Molly opens it up and she says, uh, it says here, Jesus loves Liberty very, very much and died on a cross for her so that she could be in heaven with him and all of her sins would be forgiven because Jesus loves Liberty. And close it, that's what it says, sweetie. See, Jesus loved Liberty. And she, she says, Obi Mousy, that's what they call Michelle, Obi Mousy, do you want me to read my Bible to you? We're like, yeah. And she recites exactly what Molly said. I'm like, that is just right there in the fields. That was powerful right there. That one, uh, I'm perclamped, you know. And, and I, I love the childlike faith that she sees Jesus as her, as her shepherd and, and just the little lamb of God. A, a, 
I got these out of a children's book and I can imagine being their age and seeing these things. I didn't grow up in a Christian home to witness these things, but how it would have ministered. It ministers to me now at 55. Look at these, these illustrations out of a children's Bible. And, and I love that one. That's, that's us. We're just, we're in danger. And, and the Lord, but there's predators roaming about seeking who may devour and, and there, you know, you, you just see this picture and I, I love this because in the context of the passage to see ourselves as sinners, it puts us in a good place. The bigotry wouldn't allow the Pharisees and the scribes to see this. And what they saw as evil, Jesus saw as good. People are not the enemy, they're the opportunity. He sees you as a lost lamb. He sees me. I love the passage, it goes on to say, and when he had found the lost sheep, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing, and when he comes home, he calls together his friends and neighbors, saying to them, rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep, which was lost. I love this picture. Just, God's got it, I can't even walk for myself, I'm exhausted. He's bringing me back home. Children's illustration. I'll conclude with how the Lord brought the whole point home to me. I can't think of a better passage in Isaiah 53. The Lord writes, surely Christ has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. We're, we're wayward, we're lost, and he carries our sorrows. We're, we're, we're so upset, we're, we're so frightened, we're so angry, we're lost, we're isolated, we don't trust anybody, and he comes to bring us home. And he carries us. We, I, can't, I can't even walk in that direction. I, I don't even have the ability to forgive. I don't have the ability to trust. And God says, I'm gonna bring you into my kingdom. I'm gonna bring you into my fold. I'm gonna love you and protect you and feed you and lead you to quiet pastures and still waters. Your cup will runneth over. And yet we struggle with it because we, we, we do not esteem him. I, I don't trust you. I, I've been told by everyone that you, this religion thing is difficult. Well, can't be any worse than what you're dealing with now. And when we abandon it, all the governments of the world that have abandoned any observation of the Lord, boy, those have been effective, haven't they? Billions dead. We esteemed him not, but now he's stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. And then the passage goes on to say, but he was wounded for our transgressions and he was bruised for our iniquities and the chastisement for our peace was upon him and by his stripes we've been healed how can God receive a sinner when he is holy and pure? How can God go out and sit with publicans, with tax collectors and sinners and have a relationship with them and bring them back into the fold when he is holy and they are sinners? Because he was wounded for our transgressions. Blood must be shed for the remission of sins. We're all sinners. Christ was crucified, bled and died, paid the penalty. He paid with his death, with his blood. 
And the Bible says, though your sins are as scarlet, you'll be washed as white as snow by the blood of the lamb. The shepherd, the lamb, the sheep, he's the, the, the lamb of God. And this picture of forgiveness, this picture of cleansing, and I'll tell you what, when sheep stray, they get dirty. And shepherds wash them and tend to them and care for them and feed them and love them, and he receives us to himself. And then the passage, as Isaiah continues, he brings it home with this. He says, all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. I'll take your sin and I'll give you my life. I'll take your sin and I'll give you my righteousness and I'll bring you into your father's house. I will cleanse you of all unrighteousness. You've gone astray, everyone to, each one to his own way. And all it's gotten you is isolated and in danger of the predator who comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And there is evil out there and it will not rest until you have been consumed by it. And your fear has caused you to run, your anxiety has caused you to run, your selfishness has caused you to run, your, your, your frustration with people has caused you to run, your suspect, whatever it is, you've run. And God wants to bring you home. And you don't have to clean up before he brings you back, he's just gonna bring you back and then he'll clean you up. And the one word the one word in the entirety of the passage, and we'll close if you'll just turn to it, is verse six and seven. When he comes home, he calls together his friends and neighbors, saying to them, rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep which was lost. In verse seven, this is the point of the entire parable. Now you'll be fully educated in it. I say to you that likewise there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over the 99 just persons who need no repentance. Guess what? Sheep don't repent, but you and I need to. It's a parable. Sheep are like, Bleh, I'm sorry. Bleh. We are creatures of will. You have walked away. If you don't know what repent means, it's so simple. It's a U-turn. Come back. And you, you, you don't have to come back by doing good. You come back by his goodness. He'll carry you in his righteousness. If you believe in your heart, you confess with your tongue, Jesus is Lord. He's your shepherd. You're saved. He carries you. He carries you in a world of fear, anxiety, and trouble. He cleanses you, washes you of all unrighteousness. He restores you in community. He gives you a family. You can't change your past, you can't forget it, you can't edit it, you can't erase it. You can accept it and then God will use it together for good. Come home, come home, quit wandering. That's the parable and I have to rejoice. I want, I want the people that I struggle with the most to be in the flock and that means we're gonna go where we don't want to go and meet people who we despise in order to have our heart broken. And Sandy Sourman has so convicted my heart. She's a little powerhouse that has blessed me. And this community needs that. Our, our, our sheepdogs, our officers need encouragement. And I, I just was blessed by this parable. May the Lord encourage you with it as we build this community. That way they would hear the shepherd's voice, Jesus. Amen.